This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual DICE Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual DICE Awards conversation on outstanding technical achievement. These nominees have astounded the voting panelists with their technical accomplishments, and I'm personally honored to be here uh, to share some of my favorite games and some of my definite top 10 ones. Uh, we have first up, representing from Dreams, we have David Smith. How are you doing, David? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of info about the work you've been doing in the space. Uh, yeah, so I, I work at Media Molecule, and our first kind of big game was Little Big Planet, which was sort of a UGC, user-generated content. Um, and really, that, that's the flavor of kind of what we do. It's empowering people to make things, but in the guise of a game. It's quite confusing. We have a very awkward <laughs> elevator pitch. Um, so then Dreams is the our, our latest labor of love that's been so many years. It's been eight years, nine years of work. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, lots of R&D, lots of challenges, which was about, you know, it's about empowering people even more. Like you even make anything, make music, make films, make games, make, make your dreams is, is the idea. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate your time. Uh, representing from Ghost of Tsushima, we have Chris Zimmerman. How are you doing, Chris? I'm awesome. How are you? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Excited that you're here. Give the folks at home a little bit of info on the work you've been doing as well. Oh, gosh. Um, I helped start Sucker Punch 23 years ago. Um, yeah. My last 23 years of my life uh, is now reduced to a set of figurines on the table behind me. Um, <laughs> There are, there are two that, by the way, if you're a, a, a Funko Pop uh, aficionado, I have the uh, bloody Jin Sakai as opposed to oh. the bloodless Jin Sakai um, Funko behind me. So, and we just finished Ghost of Tsushima uh, last year. So, awesome, awesome. Excited to have you here as well. Uh, representing from The Last of Us 2, we have Christian Yearling and Travis McIntosh. How are you both doing? Hey, doing good. Good, good, good. Christian, give us a little bit of info about the work you've been doing in the space as well. Um, sure. I, I've been in uh, making video games for about 16, 17 years now. I'm not quite up to Chris's level. Um, I'm champion. Naughty Dog. <laughs> 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 I've been at Naughty Dog for close to 15 years, and my first game there was uh, Uncharted 1. Um, being here, there, background. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've done everything from animation, AI, uh, some of the core uh, engine systems, uh, performance, and uh, lastly, on, on The Last of Us Part Two, I was sharing the responsibility as technical uh, or programming director for, uh, for the game with Travis. Fantastic. Travis, share a little bit of info uh, for the folks at home. Yeah, I have... Chris and beat by one year, not much, uh, at Naughty Dog. So I've been there 16 and change. Uh, yeah, and uh, like I've gotten to jump around too, done player on Uncharted, did AI on Last of Us. Uh, and I just, uh, I, I guess at Naughty Dog, our big thing is storytelling, storytelling games. Uh, 
And it's pretty interesting to work uh, when uh, you need to bow to the whims of story. Uh, like in this one level, we want to carry somebody. We've never done that before. Story says it, so we go for it. So our focus is really on what what the story needs uh, and what the gameplay needs and then what technical needs are third, distant third. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, from the Mario Kart Live team, we have Nate Bildorf. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's like I already saw you. It's like we already had a conversation <laughs> at some point in the, in the, in the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> tell the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself. Uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Product Development and Publishing at Nintendo of America. I've been working Nintendo for about, about 20 years or so. I actually interviewed Sucker Punch uh, about Rocket for Nintendo Power yeah. Magazine probably oh. in the late 90s. That's awesome. So, we don't. There is no it. Rocket statue behind yeah. me, unfortunately. I was <laughs> noticing that. Yeah, I was like, yeah. there's something missing here. But uh, any case, um, <laughs> huge fan of games across all genres, of course. Um, but uh, in, in my capacity for, um, for Mario Kart Live re here representing uh, not only the team at, at Nintendo in Japan, um, but also at Bellin Studios who co-developed it. Fantastic. Since uh, early 90s on Amiga, I've been doing this ever since, so yeah, uh, 30 years, I would say. Uh, I co-founded the Sobo Studio um, in uh, early 2000s. Um, I'm CEO today of the company, but I'm still programming I, more than half of my time. Uh, and uh, I've been doing lots of things on flight simulator, so flight dynamics of the planes and uh, lots of stuff on the planet. So um, we've been taking over the flight simulator franchise a few years ago. And uh, yeah, it's uh, all about simulating planes, but also uh, entire planets. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really excited to dig into it with all of you. I think we have a fantastic crew to talk about the technical aspects of making games and, and how you kind of, you know, bridge that gap between you know, what you all have in your minds and what winds up coming out to all of us as consumers and gamers. Uh, from the beginning of this conversation, I'm kind of curious from, you know, an audience perspective, you know, how difficult is it to, to try to achieve the perfect game? You know, is that ever, ever, ever a goal? Is that ever a thing that you kind of sit down and it's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make the perfect game for literally like you're missing everybody. The point. Like the, the, whole, <laughs> the goal whenever you write a game is for it to be good enough that you're allowed to make another one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I love that. I love that. I, I'm assuming that that's kind of the, <laughs> the answer for most of the folks in the room. Well, I think there's loads of people working on the perfect game right now and it will never be released because you'll never reach perfection. So it's, it's a common goal, but you can't be a professional and have that as your goal. Yeah. How do you yeah. create the perfect painting? How do you, well, how yeah, do you make the brush. perfect painting? Yeah, I mean, I, can, I, right? It's true. Art. I think the, I think the question that, that, that lies underneath that, that is the, 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 the sauce that keeps that all together is the, you know, when you're thinking about the process, when you go into making the games that you have decided to make and, and ones that are kind of connecting to everyone would be, you know, what kind of traits are you looking to have as the foundation for what you want to be really successful? Of course, you all have game design docs that you're kind of be beginning to start with as you start from conception to kind of, you know, getting them kind of rolling. But there are, are there any things that are kind of, you know, uh, across the board things that you are talking to your peers with or, or you know, things you've learned over the, the years of doing this work to say, we need to have this at the beginning to make sure that this project is, is going to go in a, in a good way. Uh, anyone can take that question and, and, and kind of start us I off. I think there are three 
stages of game development. The beginning, what you need is crazy ambition and wild imagination. In the middle, what you need is like solid work and hard work. And at the end, you need to be, especially as a technical person, uh, kind of the no guy. No, you can't do that. No, that won't work. Stop it, stop it. You gotta ship this game. Yeah, there's that ruthless moment, like towards um, just before you hit that final part of development, where you sort of go into a room and you have all of these things that you love, that you want to do. And you know that you're only gonna come out of that room doing perhaps one of them or mm. sort of two of them. And it's like, it's the most crushing, but also euphoric experience to kind of, to let go of those things that you wanted to do and actually go, and now we can really make something. We can actually achieve something and finish it. Yeah. Is, is that super freeing for all of you in that respect of saying, you know, getting that first no uh, is, is, is kind of the, the impetus to say, well, okay, fine. We know that there are some limitations here in a real way. And we know that, you know, the idea that we kind of put forth is the beginning parts of this, but getting that first no then lets you pivot to saying, okay, so we can't do this, but what can we do? What are the things that we actually want to figure out the ways to get accomplished and how can we build on that conversation in that way? I'm curious about that, especially because, you know, the games you've all built are extremely technical in the way that they have been built and the way that they kind of work and the way that they you know, uh, injects the player into all these scenarios that are, are extremely different. Um, Sebastian, I'm, I'm really curious about that, especially for a, a game like yours, where you're you're doing a lot to keep the player in a simulation format uh, that, that a lot of folks are coming to the idea of flying a plane for the first time in a real way. What a, when, you, when you kind of came up against those technical issues and, and that kind of first no, you know, what was your idea to, to kind of pivot from that? Um, so when we say no, usually it means next time <laughs> or maybe next year <laughs> or maybe in five years. Um, and, uh, and, uh, um, I mean, the, the, when someone asks for a new feature or something that it is always a way to do a little bit of it and you can never get, I mean, it's something we said at the beginning, you can't get perfection, right? Perfection, I would say requires infinite effort. So it's at some point you, you need to stop um, it just wastes uh, effort. But um, yeah, um, um, also also one thing we, we did at the very beginning, so this, this is very special, right? Our game design is just outside, right? We look outside uh, how a plane flies and this is it. Um, it's the first time at Osobo that we did a game where you don't invent something. We have to just look at things or you look at clouds or you look at rain or, or stuff like that. Um, and uh, we spend a lot of time also go flying, right? And, and understand how a plane flies and, and all, all the all the different things. You, you um, make it sound so so easy, but there, <laughs> there's got to be so much involved in how to communicate that sense of flying to the player. Yeah, and, and you always discover something that is not working or something that you, you did to, I mean, um, something. So what we learned in, in flying is something they teach pilots, is to be humble and that you always learn. You're never done discovering new things. I think it's sort of the same, right? When you come at the end of a development of a game, you just have a giant list of stuff that you found out, and, and on the last day you learn something new, and you just have to let go. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. They're abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm sure that there are many, many, many ideas that, that hit the cutting room floor during the process of making a game like that, for sure. I think um, it's actually, it's like for us, at least on this last game, it took yeah. so long for us to do that it kind of affected our process. You know, we were working on Ghost for six years. So, um, wow. like, you know, the phases that that uh, uh, Christian and Travis talked about, they kind of happen, but you know, over six years, you go through multiple rounds of it, right. Where you're recentering your idea of what the game is and, um, and having to go through the whole process again. Um, I'm wondering, I know dreams had a very long, uh, development cycle. Cause I saw it many, many, many years ago in Guildford. Um, did, did you guys feel the same way where like the, the process was different because it took so long to build the game? It was weird in a way. Um, like, it's funny that ideally you would start with a really kind of clear, solid core idea and build from that. But our kind of core idea was empower everyone to make everything, which is almost, it, it's not defined enough, which would be very easy to know what that means. So yes, it was a very long process of exploration. I mean, it was really, most of that sort of long journey was R&D, like working out what it is we even, like we thought we sort of knew what we wanted to make, you know, like I said, we made a little big planet, so we thought that was a good launch pad. But mm. um, yeah, it took a long time for us to really figure out what type of creators, and there's many types of creators, and, and how are players involved and what sort of players. And yeah, and, and that's still an ongoing challenge, you know, now thinking in terms of a, of a service, so you have a community and how we want to adapt to that. We're still learning what Dreams is and what people want it to be and still responding to that. So it's, it's odd, it's much, much more like a dialogue with, with dreams because it's about empowering other people it's not just about empowering us it's about our community so it's a it's a weird thing to to think about like i'm kind of the odd one out in this group i think it's well it's interesting because uh you know the the tools that you've built in game to to, to help folks kind of get through that process of creation you have to conceive the tool before you can give people the tools so that they can use the tool well uh, and and, it, and it seems like a, you know that iterative process is going to be one that you're continuing to to do. What was the, you know, what have been some of the things that have really surprised you from from the community in that way? So, the most surprising thing is that I have been surprised, which sounds <laughs> meta. But so the thing is, with Little Big Planet, I was really aware of what the limits were with Little Big Planet as to what you could make. So in a way, I saw the things the community the community made from that, and I enjoyed them. But I was never truly surprised because I, I I knew where the limits were. But we sort of really pushed back and like I was surprised that I would keep seeing things that I didn't realize were made in dreams. And I would have to check. And I thought, <laughs> okay, now, now I've recalibrated. I get there's this trick they've figured where they can abuse the font render thing to do a thing effects. Okay. And then there's another thing that people figured out. So yeah, so just being it it reached a level of sophistication where I could be kind of rewarded, like have this return on investment where you know, our community are making things that can truly surprise me and, and truly, um, like, make me really want to play them. Like, Lock is this game that was made in dreams. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of my favourite games of all time that happened to be made in dreams. That blows my mind. Like, I, I can't <laughs> say that for Little Big Planet. So, like, to me, that excites me that my, my list of favourite games has grown by one because of a thing that I helped put out there. Yeah. That's mega rewarding. That's 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 cool. That's that's fantastic. I'm I'm curious also from from Christian and Travis. You know, there's a there's a 
a benefit and a detriment to having a game that kind of was already out in the world because then you have expectations from the audience in a, in a larger way. Mm-hmm. Um, from a from a technical standpoint, you know, what were some of the kind of biggest achievements that you were kind of able to kind of get into too that in comparison to the first game that you you know you had that no moment I'm sure in the beginning of two to say you know how do we carry a body no and then someone figured it out right you know what were some of the, the kind of biggest achievements between those two games that that kind of bridged that gap well one of the things that I want to like not to state the obvious but it might often be forgotten is shipping a game during a pandemic because we actually released uh, during that and suddenly during the final uh, months of the game like that's normally hard to to ship a game during that time and now uh, moving the entire studio home getting things working and still polishing up the game having people fix bugs and and then releasing uh, was incredibly challenging for for the studio that obviously is not a feature in the game, a technical feature in the game, but uh, just that is still a technical achievement that uh, the studio and all studios, for that matter, had to like undertake and try to figure out how how do we continue making making this game. It was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish we I wish we could do a whole panel on just what it's been like to to do dev work during the pandemic. I mean, seriously, if you'd asked me like a year before, like, could you just move the whole studio to their houses and still make the game? <laughs> I would have said, no way, absolutely right. not. So yeah, the yeah. fact that it actually so happened before is, we did yeah. it, we would have said no, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how, how many hundred gigabytes is your game? Like, how I, I can't oh, imagine God. how that works. Like downloading new builds and uploading. It's crazy. It's, it's like we had to actually when we wow. when we switched, we had to like do tests, and it's all kind of you know in Washington State, right in the U.S. That's like the epicenter for the initial outbreaks, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, we had to like measure how much bandwidth people were using so we could guesstimate how whether this could possibly work or whether we're going to have to have you know a fleet of hard drives that people were driving back and forth to the office every day right is there enough bandwidth to make this work and the answer is barely (laughs) Um, (laughs) so you know we're kind of we but we make it work and you know it's the game got shipped as as all of our games got shipped so yeah yeah nate i I want to i want to poke you with a with a quick question about you know with mario kart live you know, you're doing something very special in a way that Flight Sim is, is, is also, you know, you're kind of doing a, a real world to, you know, uh, analog and kind of flipping it on its ear by bringing the real world into, you know, or bringing the game into the real world with the, with the cameras and everything that's working. You know, where did the inspiration come from to do that? You know, what was the thing that sparked that for the team's mind to say, you know, this is a thing we want to try and see if we can make happen? <laughs> Well, I think the answer is probably more complicated than I can put into words just because uh, you know, a lot of people worked on this game. Uh, certainly there was um, Nintendo in general is is always about sort of the marrying of hardware and software. Um, and this, of course, epitomizes that. Um, and then you add in the mixed reality software that Velen Studios prototyped. And um, it really just became this 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 perfect marriage. Um, and then Overcoming the actual individual technical hurdles, I'm sure, is a story in its own right. Because you know, you talk about UGC. This is people's homes. <laughs> you know, are the UGC. Um, you know, you're dealing with 
uh, not only getting the signal to the the car and you know communicating with the switch, but then uh, you know a billion factors that you're never going to be able to um, completely anticipate. You know, as far as uh, how how it's going to react in individuals people's houses. Um, I remember personally bringing a, a uh, um, one of the cars home and, and measuring the shag on my carpet. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> things that you don't really expect to do. You know, in software development. So um, you know a lot of uh, uh, a lot of strange corners that you got to kind of peek around, um, but that's all all part of the process. And I think um, at its heart, the inspiration for it was, you know, we've been making a lot of Mario Kart games. How can we surprise people, you know, with something new and something fun? And that's what drove it all. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nate, was the, was the yeah, guys, was your like chip process? Was it different because it was a combined hardware software thing? I mean, you can't patch plastic, right? So, you, you did it did it really screw with the whole timeline? Uh, it certainly, and uh, when we're talking about COVID timelines, yeah, that certainly was an extra layer of complication on top of everything. Um, we we have, I think, in this industry, gotten um, you know pretty pretty reliant on being able to to patch things uh, in an expedient fashion. And yeah, when you're dealing when you're dealing with an actual piece of machinery, that um, that can only go so far. There's only so many things you can change with onboard yeah. software. So uh, yeah, that was a that was a new wrinkle for us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to, I want to poke back really quick on, on last of us too, cause there was a, a, a piece of like remembering the conversation that we had about the technical aspect of moving that body. Right. The, I feel like in, in having that no conversation, start us off with that. What were some of the things that you were kind of the most excited to tackle from a technical standpoint? Some of the stuff that you got a chance to to really dig into that you, you, you started off with those, again, those, those, like, I don't know if we're going to get there uh, on that. And then you kind of had that light bulb moment as a team and, and kind of bridge that out into maybe not a, maybe a system or, you know, and an, a, a thing that you weren't able to actually get done from a gameplay standpoint that you wind up kind of getting over that hurdle. So for me uh, and Christian probably has a different answer, but for me, the, the AI was the big thing um, that we never got quite right in Last of Us 1, that we never got to push to the level that I was always hoping we could. And I feel like um, we did so much stuff in Last of Us 2 on the AI front on making the enemies react in a more dynamic way and Mm. uh, having them understand the space that they lived in and and really like giving them um, just just some personality, which we'd never, which we'd we'd always wanted to do, and we tried to do. We've done some of, but I feel like this time we finally made it in making the enemies characters. And like I said earlier, the, to us, story is really important. So marrying gameplay and story in a way to make the people you're fighting feel real was was. Uh, to, to me, at least, was one of the coolest things we were able to do this game. I would like to... AI was actually up there for, for what, what I wanted to talk about. Uh, but I'm also extremely proud of the work the team did for accessibility. I think that was something mm. that we pushed uh, or, or a couple of our um, uh, team members that were really adamant about it, got the studio on board. I mean, we did that 
for the other games too, but really took it to a new level for Last of Us Part Two, and that was exciting to to see just to get the game into more people's hands and be able to like enjoy it and not get stuck as much as you might have been before, hopefully not getting stuck at all and, and really enjoy the full story. Yeah. Big shout out to Steve Saylor and the rest of the folks who you all worked with on that. That was, that was fantastic to, to see those, those conversations happen. Um, Chris, really quickly, I, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about, <clears throat> you know, ghosts has this, gorgeous kind of artful cinematic approach and, and and you figured out ways to not only build on that within the world that you've built but kind of building all these various systems that go along with that you know things around yeah. wind and, and and other things you know what was your approach to you know putting all these systems in having them work so well together and then having that be the package that we wind up um getting when we got a chance to play it yeah, well, who knew that the first step towards building a game set in 13th century Japan was a gigantic particle system, right? So <laughs> but we happen to have one lying around. So, um, um, you know, I think actually the there are a couple of things that go into Ghost being what it is. Um, one is um, consistency, right? Like mm -hmm. it's coherent. Everything feels the same. And that adds a real cinematic feel to the whole thing. You don't have tone breaks between different sections. They all feel like they fit together. And that's, you know, given that we were trying to make a game that was inspired by classic Japanese samurai cinema, that consistency in tone was super important to us. Um, and once we looked at the actual things we wanted to incorporate, pulling from those sources, it did drive a lot of the stuff we were doing. We did want the world to be beautiful, that that was actually important for us. Japan's a beautiful place. It, and you really wanted to be able to capture that. It adds this sort of um, tension, you know, that you've got this really ugly story that's happening on top of this really beautiful backdrop. Um, and keeping that in balance through the whole game was a challenge for us, um, mm -hmm. that it wasn't too pretty and it wasn't too grim, you know, that you always had that juxtaposition. And making that work then, you know, lots of tech, right? So it's lots of particles and wind and, you know, all kinds of, stuff that's happening so that you can have that level of beauty and still have it be in an open world game, right? Where you can go anywhere and do anything. You have these massive sight lines everywhere. So we, we had to reinvent a lot of stuff to make that work after doing open world games that weren't as big, <laughs> um, so big, big technical challenge, a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of stuff that would have been really scary at the beginning, but you know, it's kind of boiling a frog. You do it a little bit at a time. And in the end, you've got something you couldn't believe that you ended up with. Right. It was wonderful playing a game. I, I loved sinking, I don't know how many, probably closer to a hundred hours into it. Yeah, it was, it's, um, you know, it's, I've been making games for a long time. Um, and our measures always, yeah, I was kind of kidding earlier when I said, you're only trying to make a game that is good enough to get you to be able to make the next <laughs> game. Um, we always start off trying to make game of the year. Right. Um, or at least mm. we do. I mean, it's a privilege for all of us, right. To be working on games. We're not working on Barbie horse camp adventure, right? No, 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 no shade intended to Barbie horse camp adventure, um, a fine game. Um, but you know, we're all lucky enough to be working on games that at least at some point during the development cycle, like, Oh yeah, this one, this one could be game of the year. Um, and for me, the measure of uh, our games has always been, well, when did I give up on that dream? <laughs> you know, at what mm. point did development cycle to be like, yeah, this one's probably not game of the year. Um, and so, you know, after 23 years and 10 games, it was really kind of fun to be getting one, to be making a game that at the very, very end, 
of the process, you're like, yeah, no, this one still still has a chance. Might not be, probably won't be, but still has a chance. It was <laughs> super rewarding for me personally, you know, that on the 10th try, <laughs> actually made it all the way to the finish line with that hope still intact. <laughs> I mean, you, you and the team and, and and everyone in this room has made some bangers of, of games this year and, 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 and have made some fantastic pieces of art. Um, and I get the pleasure of, of giving away an award uh, to, to talk about and recognize that. Uh, we are going to give away our DICE Award for Outstanding Technical Achievement. And the winner is Dreams. Dreams. Hey. Congrats. Congrats, congrats. Congrats, congrats, congrats. Very, um, very, very cool. David, do you have any, any thoughts to share? Wow. I, the thing I'd love from this conversation is how whenever we're talking about technology, we're talking about the vision that that technology is empowering. That's what's super exciting. That's why games are so wonderful. It's a collision of, of, of the whimsy of art and the, and the science and the maths kind of colliding together to make something greater. Um, I'm just proud to be able to stand virtually in a room with, with these people who have all done amazing things. And I'm proud of the amazing things that my team have, have done, the many years of, of toil. So yes, thank you for, uh, thank you. This is cool. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Thank you again. All of you have done such an amazing job over, over your careers of, of building and making beautiful experiences for all of us to, to enjoy. <clears throat> David, Chris, Christian, Travis, Nate, and Seb. Thank you so much for the work you've done in this space. Again, you continue to, to, to change expectations and, and to broaden the imagination. So it's, it's super fun to be able to get to do this with all of you. Uh, everyone, we'll see you all in a little bit. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter, at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.